The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. better get healthy and help animals welcome to main street vegan with your host victoria moran on this 50th anniversary of dr martin luther king jr's death i'm recalling one of his many powerful statements this one because it reminds me of you he said the hope of a secure and livable world lies with disciplined nonconformists who are dedicated to justice, peace, and brotherhood. Can you think of a better synonym for vegan than disciplined nonconformist? And if you're not yet vegan, the description fits just because you're listening to this program right now. Welcome, everyone. I'm Victoria Moran, your host for this hour. You can find out more about my work at MainStreetVegan.net. One of the options there is to click on Film Projects. I'm working with documentarian Thomas Jackson on A Prayer for Compassion a beautiful film that explores compassion and food and animals in the world's religions. And today we're in Missouri at Unity Village, where we just interviewed Unity's Vice President for Communications, Ellen Debenport, one of the dozens of religious leaders from practically every faith you can think of who is in this film. So this means that I'm coming to you today from the actual Unity Online Radio studios. And not only am I here in person, which has only happened once before in our six-year history, but the studio is brand spanking new. It is so new that the earphones still have cellophane protectants. And that means this is the first show to be done from the new studio studio with a live um, host. And so it's kind of like a baptism. And that's very special and very cool. It's also special because after the break, we're bringing back a really popular guest, Kathy Freston. And right now, it's my pleasure to introduce the author of my currently very, very favorite children's book, Sprig the Rescue Pig. She is journalist Leslie Crawford, who took the fiction challenge from her editor, who wanted to give voice to the often maligned pig. Leslie lives in San Francisco. She has two kids, six chickens, four rescue pigeons, and a lizard. Leslie, you sound like a disciplined nonconformist to me. (laughs) Welcome to the program. (laughs) Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you, Victoria. It's wonderful to have you. I love the book. But before we get into that, I have to tell you something that we sort of have in common, that you have rescued pigeons. And my daughter is a wildlife rehabber. So the point there is to get these animals and and birds back out into the wild. But she had a pigeon this winter, Thunder, who has some sort of brain issue so that he's not able to fly. So I have a grand pigeon and these birds oh, are remarkable. Yeah, they're very smart animals. They are remarkable. And what's interesting is it's because of my daughter that we have pigeons, in fact. <laughs> so she's 12 years old, and she she's kind of a little St. Francis. So. Oh, what a beautiful thing to be able to say about your child. Maybe the best thing ever. So that shows you're a pretty cool yeah. mom, too. So <laughs> pigeons are smart. And pigs are 
really smart. What's so special about pigs? They are so smart. It was it was really um, a gift to me to be able to write this because I got to find out everything about pigs. Um, they are smart because they can um, they can do things that dogs can do and beyond. Uh, they they're depending on different measures of intelligence. There are even ways they outsmart three-year-old kids or many primates. Uh, they have very complex social systems. They have a very complex vocabulary. Uh, they are smart in the way they can uh, sustain themselves, find food, and um, and relate to others. They're curious. They are, you know, would would otherwise make great pets, except they get to be up to a thousand pounds, at least domestic farm animals. But they can fetch things. They can be trained to use a litter box. Some pigs have even been trained to play video games. If you actually would want a pig to play a video game, but. Well, the pig might want to. We were just at uh, Tamerlane Farm Sanctuary last week. It was my daughter's birthday. She's all grown up, but her wish for this birthday was to go pet pigs. And and so I really was looking forward to your book and to this program, and we were there and, and communicating with these animals who have so much going on, as really uh, every creature does. So yeah. your book is utterly charming. It's beautifully written. Because you are a real writer, the illustrations are enchanting. I mean, this this pig, the picture of this pig. Please, yeah, I, I love the illustrations. I know it's wonderful and and very this wonderful illustrator in Vienna. Yes. So yeah. as as a mother, and thinking back to when I was the mother of a little one, I thought mm-hmm. this would be a great book for any child because you don't pull punches. And yet you don't do anything gruesome or graphic or or scary. So talk to us about the process of this first children's book. Yes, our our goal is to present animals because this is going to be a series. I just finished writing the second one on chickens. Um, But animals who are factory farm animals. So to present them as the complex, wonderful creatures they are. So the idea was, once you empathize and understand any any being, whether it's a person or an animal, you don't see them as the other, and you don't you're not as easily able to just separate them out as quote unquote some dirty animal or stupid animal. You actually can almost get inside their skin, and the process for writing it is I actually tried as best I could, which of course I can't, but to think what would it be like to be a pig and what would it be like to be a pig bound for the slaughterhouse? And um, I'm also, my background in journalism, a lot of it has been in childhood education and development. And so, you know, I've also had to imagine what it's like to be a child and that idea that children know things without quite knowing them. I kind of latched onto that because obviously animals have a great sense of what's going on. They sense fear. They sense if, you know, possibly somebody is kind. So that's how I started the book with Sprig thinking something's not right because he's on a slaughterhouse truck bound, bound for the slaughterhouse and just something's wrong. Um, and this is an animal who's had his whole life was something wrong, living in terrible conditions. But um, And we were sure to base this story and also the chicken story on a realistic way an animal could escape this condition. And this has happened. You can see it on YouTube, pigs jumping off slaughterhouse trucks. So we have him jump off a slaughterhouse truck and then it takes off from there, more fictionalized at that point. And it's very sweet that Sprig meets a little girl. And animals and children can have such an affinity. I know that vegan parents always want to raise their children with reverence for life. But sometimes I think, just as you said about your daughter and the pigeons, it's the kids who teach us. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I mean, that's that's how I learned to not be afraid of dogs because of my children. Um, and that's that's why we have pigeons and a lizard. So, yes. That's great. So what's your take on how much to share with children at what age about the really horrific realities of slaughter and modern farming? Um, I actually recently wrote a piece about this. Um, well, it was about teaching kids compassion for for animals. Um, you know, every parent has their own style and their own comfort level. Um, I tend to be pretty much an open book with my kids, no matter what subject. Um, I try not to tell them more than I sense they're ready for, but I also would never lie to them. And so I invite them to ask any questions, and I explain very clearly why, you know, why I think eating animals is wrong. Um, and I think children can take a lot more than some adults think they can take. And children appreciate the truth. And I think um, I think they can sense when they're not being told the truth. So I'm for for openness without giving them nightmares, although so much of this is nightmarish. Yeah, but you've done such a great job in the book. And one of the other things that was wonderful, I think that so often – when books about animals, farmed animals in particular, are written by non-vegetarians and people who don't really get the issues, it's too much fairy tale. It's too much the pig would meet the little girl and the little girl and the pig would live happily ever after. But in Sprig the Rescue Pig, you give a day-by-day, blow-by-blow of what Sprig does when the little girl goes off to school and her mom goes off to work and you show the backyard being torn up and the, the truffle holes being dug and all these things that are very true about pigs. And so um, right. Sprig is led to a uh, an animal sanctuary, a, a more fitting environment uh, for a pig. <laughs> right, exactly. We didn't, we really didn't want to mislead anybody and think, oh, mom, can I adopt a domestic farm, an- you know, animal? You, Unfortunately, you can't. They've been bred to be so enormous that sadly, you know, um, we have created these animals that, that, you know, can't be in a in a backyard. Um, I did when I was doing research on pigs. It was almost like one of those like, you know, gifts from heaven. I was on a run and I ran into this couple who have a pig named Luna, who's a hundred pounds. So it was not a domestic farm animal and lives with them. So you know, you know, you could adopt a pig that would get that big, but but a normal farm pig would would be impossible. So. Pretty, yeah. pretty impossible. I mean, we have Esther the Wonder Pig inspiring everybody. She's a very special case. Yes, and, I say impossible, but I live in San Francisco. Yes, absolutely. So, absolutely. And, if you could, if you ha- were lucky enough to live with space and and could accommodate a, an animal that size, by all means, absolutely. Yes, and I think even with the, the potbelly pigs, people think that they're going to be piglets forever. And there's a whole industry out there promoting the myth of the micro pig. There is no yeah. such thing as a micro pig. There are baby pigs, <laughs> and that right. phase micro doesn't becomes last macro. Long. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's quite sad because then they think, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do with them? And those are, the, are some of the animals who, if they're lucky, end up in a sanctuary. But And thank goodness for sanctuaries where we can go to meet them yeah. and come to understand them a bit. So I'm fascinated, Leslie, by this article that you recently wrote about teaching children to be compassionate people. W- what did yeah, you say yeah. there? I'm trying to remember. <laughs> um, well, you know, one thing that I've realized is, for me, it's been a process. Um, you know, I'm 55, and I have gone through such an evolution in terms of compassion for animals um, and other people, um, and recognizing it's going to be an evolution with my children and kind of take them where they are and, 
the other important thing for me is you have to practice what you preach. You can't, I mean, it's useless to be talking all the time about compassion, but not demonstrating it. So, um, you know, I hope that my children see me behaving towards our animals and towards human beings in a compassionate way so that they really internalize that. I think they have and they do. Um, but but you have you have to live it day to day and be very conscious about it. And I think what you're saying is so important that people watch what we do. They watch how we raise our children, they watch what we order at the restaurant and and they watch our lives. And we were doing the the interview for the film today and talking about that if it worked to be pushy, to say to people, look at the conditions these animals are in. Why are you supporting that? Well, then we could all do that, except that just pushes people away. So to be aspirational in, in our own lives and to share in these wonderful ways like you're doing with this just delightful book and that it's going to be a series is, is so you. great. I just want to read something here, Leslie, that you wrote because I appreciate good writing wherever I found it. <laughs> and you, you. Um, wrote this in the questionnaire that I send to guests, and I think it's just so beautifully put. I'd love to, to share it. You say, I find the question of whether or not animals can feel or if they're smart or stupid, well, ridiculous. Of course they feel. Anyone who lives with an animal knows that. As for smart or not, they have a different kind of intelligence. I am amazed by the superpowers my chickens have, things we aren't capable of. Same with pigs and same with any animal once you get to know them. So, Leslie, we are getting to know pigs through you and through Sprig the Rescue Pig. So tell us where we can find the book. You can now find the book on Amazon. Yay! yay. And just to be a little more self-promotional, if anybody gets the book and we hope likes it, any kind of posting really helps in terms of sales. Um, uh, And if you really like the book and want to ask your local bookstore to carry it, that's also fantastic. We're also trying to get it out at farm sanctuaries, um, you know, get it out where both vegans would um, find it. And this is also geared towards main, the mainstream to try to gently change minds and and appetites. So, oh, That's wonderful. So Sprig has social media accounts. She is Sprig the Rescue Pig on uh, Facebook, <laughs> Twitter, Instagram. And uh, to learn more about the wonderful work of Leslie Crawford, you can go to lesliecrawford.net. Leslie, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. I hope every school and every library in America gets a copy of Sprig the Rescue Pig, and you save lots of pigs and lots of animals. I hope so, too. And thank you for all the great work you're doing. Oh, you are so welcome. You make it easy. This is um, such (laughs) such a grace what I get to do. Everybody, stay with us, because guess who's coming after the break? The one, the only, Kathy Freston. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. At Metaphysical Romp 2, we demystify metaphysics to help you live life at a deeper level. One of our key principles is the recognition that you always have the power to choose how you respond to any situation. Instead of asking, 
Why did this happen to me? A better practice, which aligns with the metaphysical principles we share, is to ask yourself the question, how can I use this for good? We promise you'll experience a transformation in thinking that will reap huge dividends as you master the art of living metaphysically. For new perspective and spiritual insight, listen to Metaphysical Romp 2 with co-hosts Rev. Paul Hasselbeck, Rev. Bill Holton, and Rev. Cher Holton. Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time here on Unity Online Radio. Experience the peace and joy promised by A Course in Miracles? Or are you still struggling to truly live your beliefs from moment to moment? Let Rev. Jennifer Hadley help you focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace, through practical application, by walking your talk. Experience the healing live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central on A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. I hope you're enjoying the clips from Vegan Girls, the Main Street Vegan show's new theme song from UK songwriter and performer Rob Mills. You can hear the whole song with video, and all these video clips were sent in by uh, vegan women from around the world uh, on YouTube. You can check that out at Vegan Girls, G-I-R-L-Z, and uh, it's really, really fun. It lives in my head a lot of the time, and I do a lot of spontaneous dancing. And I also want to call your attention uh, to the blog at MainStreetVegan.net. This week's post I wrote, and it's called The Historic Precedent for Inclusiveness. And it talks about how we can include everybody who discovers this way of eating, this way of life, even if they're not like us in every single way. And how dull would that be? So do have a read. I'd appreciate that a lot. You can also subscribe to the blog and to our newsy letters at MainStreetVegan.net. And right now, I am one lucky woman because I'm going to be speaking with someone admired by so many Kathy Freston. She's the author of New York Times best-selling books, Quantum Healing, The Lean, and Veganist. She's co-author of a cookbook I am crazy about. And if you come to my house, that would be proven because you would see all the food spilled on it. That's called The Book of Veganish. And Kathy is co-author with our good buddy, Bruce Friedrich, of a new book, Clean Protein, The Revolution That Will Reshape Your Body, Boost Your Energy and save our planet. Welcome, Kathy. Oh, hi, Victoria. What a great introduction. Thank you so much. Well, it's really, really fun to be talking with you as the world goes on around us with its blizzards and its surprises and who knows what's going to happen from day to day. People like you, work like yours, keeps us focused on what's Mm -hmm. really important, love, compassion, and good sense. So thank you. Thank you. Right back at you. Ah. Right back at you. So let's jump in and talk about the book first. Okay. Clean Protein. Now, we did have Bruce Friedrich on a few months ago, but now that I have a a book, The Main Street Vegan Cookbook, also with a co-author, J.L. Fields, I know that co-authors can love and write the same book and see it in different ways. So give us the Mm -hmm. Kathy Freston take on Clean Protein. Okay. Well, so I live in Southern California. I've been here for 20 years. And, you know, it's never been hotter and drier. And we're up in Santa Barbara. We just had terrible fires up there because of the drought. And it's getting more and more worrisome to live here. I mean, I actually have nightmares of running out of water and being thirsty. So that's one thing about me. Another thing is my father died of melanoma when he was only 63 years old and diabetes runs throughout my family. So I'm fairly obsessed with preventing these diseases and others. 
uh, my insurance bill just skyrocketed to over a thousand dollars a month. So I downgraded my policy and, you know, I hope to heck that nothing terrible happens and that I'm covered. I am vain. It's important for me that I look healthy and fit. And I am in love with my dog, Trixie, who's a member of my family. And sometimes I look at her and I think about how similar she is to a cow or a pig or any other animal that's going to slaughter. And so it kind of kills me if I think about it too long. So all of these things, you know, whereas Bruce is just, he is, man, so smart and business and like developing uh, new companies and he's just so academic. I'm just sort of a normal person who worries about things and, you know, I, I really want to be a, a positive force in the world and I am just figuring things out for myself. And so Bruce and I came together to write this book with both of our influences. And I'm, you know, more of sort of the lifestyle part of it. And he's more of the um, brainiac part of it. But we're both we're both clean protein activists. And that's the most important thing. Well, it's a match made in heaven. So I want to ask about the title. We know that protein is a buzzword. So I have a feeling that if you had called this book Clean Riboflavin, it wouldn't be nearly as popular. <laughs> What's the thing with protein? Well, you know, people are obsessed with protein. You you know you hear it all the time. Where are you getting your protein? Are you getting enough protein? Oh, my God, i got to get some protein. I'm hungry. I need protein. And, uh, you know, we're just obsessed with it. But protein is not just protein. There's a package, a whole package to consider, which Harvard calls the protein package. So we want to think about how much cholesterol goes along with that protein in that package. Um, is that particular kind of protein inflammatory to the body? Are there pathogens or antibiotics that might be lurking within the food that we're eating? What kind of damage did the making of that protein do to our land or water? Um, so just because a food is chock full of protein doesn't mean it's clean and it doesn't mean it's good for us, for our body or the planet. And so that's what the book is about. It's really about all the research determining what makes a protein clean so that when we make our choices, we're doing it for our health and we're also doing it for the planet. Good plan. So, yeah. Kathy, you're out there in the Los Angeles area where everybody does different interesting things. And I would imagine you run into people who are on a ketogenic diet, paleo mm -hmm. diet. What's behind smart people, caring people, mm -hmm. deciding to not just continue to eat the animal products that they always have, but to go crazy and eat more <laughs> of them. Yeah, it's, you know what I think it is, Victoria? I think that, you know, very highly intelligent and health conscious people, and because I, we, I'm, I have met plenty of, you know, doctors and professionals who are very educated and, uh, you know, this, truth, you know, there's so much science to support the superiority of a plant-based diet for your health and for the environment. And it, it, it quickly becomes this truth that they don't want to have any part of it. And I, I think that most people want to live in a world in which meat is harmless, you know. In, in fact, they seem committed to living in a world where meat is harmless, regardless of the facts, regardless of what they might read. They're going to seek out and resonate with conflicting information, um, largely sort of put out by industries of meat and dairy and eggs. And I think that it's because the ritual, the tradition of eating meat, dairy, and eggs is just too comforting. 
and it's too familiar and people don't want to reconsider this stuff because there is a profound and unconscious um, identification that life is good if we can eat this way because it's always been done. And it has to be benign because it's always been done. You know, my my forefathers ate it. My mother served it up. It's just been, you know, for the holidays forever. It has to be benign. Um, and the alternative which is moving to plant-based proteins or meat analogs, that seems like a sacrilege. And I think there's just that psychological barrier that um, pushes people to believe in sort of science that's got some half-truths in it. You know, there's a lot of muddy water out there, a lot of uh, science that would say that um, animal proteins are good. And there's there's some in there that, you know, you can grab onto and say, well, that makes sense. But then a lot of it doesn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't, uh, really make sense in the end when you look at the science. So, um, it's, it's one of those things that we have to break the spell and we have to hope that the market provides enough good tasting, accessible, available, um, plant-based food that is not full of animal food um, that people don't feel like that, that there's a loss because mm. I think it is really deeply, deeply psychological. It is. And I am beginning to appreciate more than ever the people creating vegan food products, the recipe creators, the chefs, because if there isn't the food, people can be very impressed by these ideas. People can see a video online and say, Ooh, I'm never eating that stuff again. But within three days when they've had all the pasta marinara and peanut butter sandwiches they can stomach, right. they just don't know what to do. Exactly. And that's why we're in a really – uh, hopeful place in in the culture right now because there are so many entrepreneurs who are creating amazing plant-based protein whether it's the impossible burger the beyond burger whether it's you know gardein or um by chloe or uh all, you know crossroads kitchen in los angeles and you know uh jean georges in abc kitchen in new york and there's just so many great options that things are starting to change because the awareness is there. You know, the younger people, the millennials and certainly even Gen, Gen Z, they are aware. They're online. They see slaughterhouse videos. They don't like it. They're quite uh, concerned with climate change. And so they want something different. And luckily, this is intersecting with the options are now out there and they're getting more ubiquitous. Even in, I was just in Minnesota where um, four years ago, there was not that much to eat. Now there's probably 20 new vegan restaurants and lots of food in the grocery store. So in a, in a fairly short amount of time, there's, there are more options. And the most exciting thing, which you might've talked to Bruce about is clean meat. The, the, um, the project that's happening with like Memphis Meats, a company um, that is starting to grow actual animal flesh out of stem cells so that there will be real animal meat, but without slaughter, without cruelty, without environmental fallout. So all of this stuff is happening and it's going to change, um, which is really important because – uh, depending on people sort of waking up and getting the animal cruelty thing and getting, you know, sort of their health concerns worked out, um, we don't want to just depend on that. But we still have to keep putting this information out there. It's not like, okay, just give up and stop talking about it. We need to keep keep talking about it. Climate change is really important. It's the issue of our time. Animal cruelty is a devastatingly serious issue. Um, our culture that is just growing fatter and sicker by the year. Um, this uh, we're in a health healthcare crisis. You know, people aren't going to be able to afford to treat their diseases that come from a poor diet. So this is all very very important and we have to keep talking about it and 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 
also people who are driven to be entrepreneurs to start businesses that part is equally important because we're we're the the awareness is there and now the accessibility is also getting to be more there mm. And I think that there is a connection between antioxidants and entrepreneurism. I mean, vegans start businesses. You know, it, it's <laughs> like do. we kind of know, you know, vegans, they get healthier and some of them lose a little weight and you've got kind yeah. of the glow going on. Mm-hmm. And just right underneath that is chances are they're going to start a business. <laughs> Oh, because you're, you're highly motivated when you feel that good and you, you know, some people got, get into it for health reasons and they do lose the weight and their blood pressure goes down and, um, the heart condition goes away. They feel so good that they begin to look at the other issues like climate change, like animal cruelty, and they feel so good about their choices that it becomes a highly motivating, uh, thing to, to spread the accessibility and they do start businesses. And of course they're thinking more clearly because there's not so much congestion in their arteries and they have more energy and, you know, they're just very sharp. So things are, are really in a, in a very optimistic place these days. What a wonderful thing uh, to hear you say, because I I know that we've had some conversations when we have doubted the optimism (laughs) And to yeah. uh, to yeah. see so much that's good going on is really cool. Now you mentioned the younger people and how how veganish <laughs> they are. So I don't want to put you on the spot and ask for statistics, but you had statistics in the book of veganish about mm-hmm. how many boomers, how many Gen Xers, and and how many yeah. um, millennials are are vegan. And those percentages blew me away. Do you happen to have those in the top of your head? Yeah, I do. Well, uh, for so baby boomers. Uh, uh, about 1% of baby boomers called themselves vegetarian. And, you know, the word vegan wasn't really even around too much back then. Um, and 4% of Gen Xers called themselves vegetarians and vegans. And then 12% of millennials call themselves vegetarians or vegans. So that's a huge uh, spike and I, I haven't, uh, I haven't got the research on Generation um, Z off the top of my head, but that's even more. So, and then if you look at the Google searches in, um, I believe it was 2016, there was a 32% spike in the search for the word vegan. Um, so that's pretty huge. And above and beyond all of that is that 48% of People who are 16 to 24 years old agree that a meat-free diet is best. So they may not identify as vegetarian or vegan, but they know it's best. They want to eat that way, and they're moving in that direction. So that's really exciting. And then one last thing is that the market share for meat alternatives, things like veggie burgers and sausages and stuff like that, has gotten um, up past, I think, five and a half billion. So that's a market share that's just exploding. And that really shows a, a huge interest in moving away from animal protein. Yeah, that's all really good news. So I, I wanted to get back to, you know, the weight loss issue came up a couple of times in, in our mm-hmm. conversation. And you were a model. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. 157 years ago. Yeah. Well, yeah, there, there were models then. And so that whole kind of societal thinness thing was very big for for some of us, and, and I think we would be deluding ourselves if we didn't say it's very big for a lot of people now, which is why the keto mm-hmm. and the paleo are, are so huge, I think, because mm-hmm. it can cause certainly temporary weight loss, and that makes people happy. And yet right. we also have within the vegan movement a lot of people who are very, very interested in justice on every level. So mm-hmm. discrimination by size is is not acceptable, mm-hmm. and where do you put this whole thing? I mean, we know there are health issues, certainly with morbid obesity, but there are also a lot of issues with just people feeling like, hey, wait a minute, I'm fine the way I am, get off my body. Oh, it's, it's you know, it's an individual choice for sure. Um, I think that if, if, if someone is looking to feel better and they want to lose weight because the science would say if you are not obese or overweight, you're likely to have more energy and get sick less. I think that, you know, 
makes sense for them. And, um, you know, it's, it's certainly not my place to, or anybody's place to say you should look one way or the other. Um, and it, it, but for me, I can say for sure that when I started eating healthier, I started being happier. And I think it was because I had more energy. I didn't get sick. I woke up, you know, in a good mood. I felt like I was aligned with my values and that felt right. And that said, it's an individual, it's an individual choice, you so, know, how, how big or small you want to be. So when you made this change 156 years ago or whenever that <laughs> happened, right? what was your motivation? And, and were you an overnighter or did you take some time? I wish I could say I was an overnighter. I'm, I'm weak willed. <laughs> I just, I'm not very good with discipline. I came at it from an animal rights place where I saw a picture of a cow being dragged to slaughter and my world just, you know, exploded with the awareness like, oh my God, I am participating in this. She's being dragged to slaughter and she's going through all this horrible pain because I want a glass of milk or a piece of cheese or, you know, if she was a, uh, a, um, a beef cow because I wanted a hamburger. So I, you know, when I was having this awareness, I was also playing with my dog and I realized that my dog is, is like a part of my family, like I said before. And, and, and it just started killing me that I am subjecting other animals to torture that I would never do that to my dog. And so I thought I wanted to be someone who didn't eat meat, but it was just so hard for me, Victoria, to think about what am I going to eat? I, I grew up, you know, eating everything and I still love sausage and I still love burgers and I still love, you know, bolognese sauce and I crazy addicted to cheese. And so I just thought, you know what, Kathy, I don't know what the answers are, but I'm going to lean into it and I'm going to keep researching and I'm going to, you know, go online and I'm going to try out new foods and new recipes and I'm going to keep educating myself. And that's how, what I did over probably the course of a year and a half. I went from being a full on meat eater and I swear to you, I had pate. I mean, I, I just ate everything. And then I, because I had this intention and I gave myself a break, I gradually got to being someone who was 100% plant-based. And that worked for me. I mean, some people overnight, it works for them. To me, it was like, ah, what do I, you know, order at a restaurant? What do I do if I'm at a birthday party, dinner party? What do I do at a holiday? And how do I cook? How do I shop? Which is why I've written these books with, you know, grocery lists and plans, you know, and clean protein. We talk about what to do for the holiday, how to, here's your talking points. When people attack you, this is what you say. Um, and because all of this stuff was new to me, so I just kind of found my way slowly until I felt confident, and then I was 100%. So you started for ethical reasons, but I think mm -hmm. your reputation is very much in health veganism, certainly equally, if, if not more. With uh, you know, you've had detox plans in some of your books and and uh, helpful information along those lines. So something that I see that makes me sad. In fact, my blog post that I mentioned that's up this week. I'm going to do another one from a different perspective next month. Is about how we can all just get along. Mm -hmm. Is it possible for an ethical vegan to sit across the table from a plant based person and the vegan might have olive oil and salad dressing and the plant-based person might still be wearing leather shoes, can we come together and be a strong, powerful, united front? I, I sure hope so. And if we just use some critical thinking, we would see that what worked for us is probably kindness and some patience and um, some tolerance and that when we apply those same qualities to other people, uh, other people are, are likelier to come around. So, you know, if I am 
um, sort of yelling at someone or, or pointing out that they're wearing leather shoes or something, they're going to reject me. They're going to reject my message. They're going to reject the whole movement, which is sad. Not necessarily, but the, the likelihood is stronger than if I'm kind, if I'm chill, if I'm informative without being judgmental. So I, I just always try to ask myself, what was effective with you and how can you be that way with other people? Mm. And and I think that um, there is no perfection. There's certainly – perfection is the enemy of the good and certainly, you know – there's always a step farther to take it. So we who throw stones, it's like, oh, really? Did you do X, Y, or Z? I mean, you could be a Jane in India, you know, and 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 uh, look down on people who are breathing without a mask because they might be inhaling some sort of dust mite or, you know, living insect or something. So there's, there's just a, a step farther that you can always do. So how about just meeting people where they are and being a uh, – kind ambassador and doing the best that we can. I'll admit to you, Victoria, I sit across from someone eating ham and I get very sad. I'm not saying that I don't feel it. I feel sad. I was just, you know, um, in Minnesota for um, Easter and we were you know, at the table and then, and most people were having Easter ham. And, you know, I was helping to do the dishes afterwards and the leftover ham was on this tray. And to me, I didn't see ham. I saw a pig who suffered and it was so sad. But, you know, I tried to be genuine and authentic. And I said, I'm sorry, I, I can't um, clean, clean this, this, this just makes me sad. And um, the person who was next to me said, oh, why? What's going on? And I said, well, I, 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 see, an, I see an animal. I don't see a chunk of meat. I just see what happened there. And But then I left it at that. I don't want to make someone feel guilty. It's not in my power to make someone feel guilty. I just want to tell my truth in sort of a, a non-judgmental um, way and a non-confrontational way. For me, that that's what works. I understand there's protest organizations who, you know, excel at a, a different way of being, and that's useful. Um, but for me, as an individual, I try to think about what worked for me when I was new to this, what helped wake me up, what helped get me across the line faster without turning back and, you know, recidivism. And that kindness and patience really worked. And I love the choice of words when you said, this makes me sad. Because one could also say, this makes me sick. This makes me disgusted. This Mm -hmm. makes me hate you. Well, Mm -hmm. okay, but that's not going to get you anywhere. But just the the feelings. And probably this person had never thought about, oh, yeah, that was an animal. It makes her sad. I just feel that as we plant these seeds, you know, it yeah. kind of opens people. I think for me, what makes me not want to do something is when it's too complicated. So I went to an alternative um, healthcare person recently, and I've done some cleaning up of my diet. It's amazing that, you know, I've been vegan now for 35 years, <laughs> and I'm still cleaning it up. But... Mm. I was just feeling wonderful with some of these new changes I had made. And I actually went to, to this uh, healthcare person thinking that she was going to give me all this support and like, wow, that's so cool. And here's one or two tweaks and come back in two months and we'll just see how great you're doing. But instead, she just threw all this other stuff on me uh. and, and suggested like about 15 supplements. Uh. And I knew as she was saying these things, that I was not only going to not take the 15 supplements, I was going to cut back on the ones I was taking already. Yeah. And it's I like think, you lost me. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it. And I think so often with veganism and some very well-meaning people, you know, want to bring in all these other really important um, issues, you know, uh, justice issues and feminism and, and all these other things. And I just think, can we just kind of get people getting the grocery store part first? 
Mm-hmm. I think that it's it's overwhelming, you know, um, when we realize how far we have to go and that the the basic thing, if we could just tell ourselves, like, do I have kindness in my heart? Do I have respect for life in my heart? Am I acting respectfully? And when we start doing that with animals, it naturally sort of spills over into other sections of our lives, you know, whether it's for um, different genders or races or, or anything. And um, I, I, I know that I've become a better person in other sections of my life because of the animal awareness. Um, it's like one thing wakes up your heart and then it just naturally is is part of everything else. But yes, if we are yelling at people to be perfect in all these areas, it's just overwhelming. It's just, you know, it's a lot to think about. So mm-hmm. one step at a time. Yeah. One step at a time. I think that the thing that could really beautifully unite all of us who are on this path, wherever on it we are and whatever our motivation is for doing this, is the idea we do not consume death. And one could say, well, then you could just be a vegetarian. Well, I know, but that's, mm. that's great. You know, <laughs> we, the, this process would be much easier if we were just, uh, dealing with, with, uh, vegetarian to vegan. Mm-hmm. And, and we know that eggs and dairy are reek with death. And mm-hmm. I just read an article for Health Science Magazine, the American Health Association's journal, where I, I just proposed what if what we had in common is we don't consume death? And then whatever else we differed on, that's all fine. We can get together privately and talk about all our interesting differences. But together, mm-hmm. with not consuming death, what we could do for the planet and the animals and people's arteries, I think it's tremendous. I think that's fantastic. And it seems just so uh you know, rational, really. And, you know, what you come up against, I think, is that a lot of people say, well, it's just natural. I mean, it's just the cycle of life. You know, it's just some things are just natural and you have to accept them. But if you think about it, like a well, okay, dying at the ripe old age of 30 was also natural, you know, not too long ago in human history. Um, dying in childbirth was also natural, and and we can do something about that now. We can prevent that now. Um, premature death from all kinds of diseases, that's, that has always historically been natural, but it's preventable now, you know. So we can think about a bear or a lion attacking us and eating us. That is also um, a deep historical truth, and that is – if you want to say um, <laughs> connecting us to the cycle of life, but we don't have to do that anymore. And so the divide between what's natural and all the misery that that entails and what is good has been growing. And that's what we want to consider is that we are evolving as humans. We are evolving consciousness. So just because something is natural and quote the cycle of life, including death, doesn't mean it's good and we can do better. Absolutely. There's something in the Bible. I remember a mentor of mine used to say, offenses must come, but woe to him by whom the offense cometh. And I remember thinking, yeah, that's true, because everybody's going to die, but it's still wrong if I kill somebody. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it all, there's so many layers of this. Sometimes, Kathy, I think about vegan living as this beautiful pie. And I know we talk about uh, animal rights, environmentalism, health, world hunger as, as the basic, but there are all these other things with, with the, the cuisine and, and raising kids and, and natural health care and just fashion. It, it's so, so exciting and, and so rich. 
It's so rich. And that is exactly the right word because it is so rich. It makes you feel so abundantly alive. It makes you feel empowered. You know, in, in a world today where we feel so helpless and unempowered and disempowered, uh, you know, with all the crazy politics and stuff going on, this is an area that we can totally take charge of. This is an area we can totally have an effect over. Our health and animals' well-being, um, truly c- climate change, and, you know, how you know, how we dress, how we outwardly express our values. These are things that we can take into our own hands, and that is very rich and very exciting. It is indeed. So are you working on or thinking of the next book? I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm thinking, but I'm also relaxing. I'm, you know, um, I, I wrote in the acknowledgments to my to my guy, my partner Dan. Um, let's just sit on the balcony and drink a glass of wine and relax for a minute because a whole minute. You know, yeah, well, you know, it's like you're a writer too. It, it takes it takes a lot, and you you know, you kind of want to digest this project and clean protein was was. It's a super exciting subject for me and for Bruce, my co-author. And um, it's just been one of those things that I want to keep letting that ripple out there and talking about that. And then, you know, the next step, the next project will appear. And and we will look for that. But now anybody, if you have not read Clean Protein, the revolution that will reshape your body, boost your energy and save our planet, treat yourself. And Kathy, thank you for being on this planet at the same time as me. Oh, I'm so grateful to be here with you. And thanks to Unity Online Radio, our engineer, Jeff Comfort. God bless you. Eat your veggies. The world is full of voices, advertising, television, politics, colleagues, family, and friends. All are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. Join Janet Connor, best-selling author of Writing Down Your Soul, The Lotus and the Lily, and Your Soul Wants Five Things, as she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul-directed life. Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find. God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practice, Practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready for deeper spiritual breakthroughs? Have you wondered how to apply spiritual principles to your everyday life in practical ways? 
Do you feel your soul is calling you to deeper purposes? Join Reverend Galen McDowell live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central for Truth Transforms, a discussion on how God within you, as you, is the power to transform your life. If you really believe that consciousness determines your experiences and that you are an individualized expression of God, join us as we help awaken and transform the consciousness of humanity. We will discuss, through lecture, live interviews and call-in questions, spiritual healing, prayer, prosperity, forgiveness, new thought views about eternal life, and much more. The world is waiting for your truth transformation, only on Unity Online Radio. At Metaphysical Romp 2, we demystify metaphysics to help you live life at a deeper level. One of our key principles is the recognition that you always have the power to choose how you respond to any situation. Instead of asking, why did this happen to me? A better practice, which aligns with the metaphysical principles we share, is to ask yourself the question, how can I use this for good? We promise you'll experience a transformation in thinking that will reap huge dividends as you master the art of living metaphysically. For new perspective and spiritual insight, listen to Metaphysical Romp 2 with co-hosts Rev. Paul Hasselbeck, Rev. Bill Holton, and Rev. Cher Holton. Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time, here on Unity Online Radio. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify. 